Hey there, Dave here. And before we get into this episode of Tales from the Backlog, I have some cool people that I would love to say thank you to. People like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Gilmer, Mikey Tabletop, and many more have all gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to support the show. I appreciate you all very much, and you, listener, if you're not like them yet, you can be. If you go to patreon.com slash realdavejackson, a couple bucks a month gets you bonus episodes, voting rights, and my eternal love and respect. Once again, that's patreon.com slash realdavejackson. All right, on to the show. Hi there, everybody. Dave here. And before we get into the episode about Spiritfarer today, uh, Charlie, Lauren, and I all agreed that it's best to put a content warning at the beginning of this episode today. Uh, Without spoiling anything, the spoiler section in this episode and the game itself are, are full of conversations about death and personal experiences involving people of all ages and different manners Um, of them dying and if that's something that's going to bring up memories that you wish uh, not to revisit then I would advise you to proceed with caution um, in this episode especially the spoiler section of course and uh, the game itself if you do decide to play it so with that being said let's begin Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guests, plural, today are friends of the show, ferrymen to the afterlife, and their faithful cat. Though I'll let you decide which is which. Charlie and Lauren Young, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. We're happy to be here. Yep. Thanks for having us. Yeah, today we are going to be talking about Spiritfarer, which is a management sim slash platformer developed and published by Thunder Lotus Games for modern consoles and PC in 2020. So we're going to give some quick little elevator pitches for Spiritfarer in case people don't know what this game is about. Um, I am going to be super lazy here and use the elevator pitch from the developers because frankly, it's the best. So they say, a cozy management game about dying. And I could not agree more. Now the task is up to you, Charlie and Lauren, to give your own elevator pitch, because I already stole the pre-made one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a pretty good summation. Uh, we were kind of talking about this on the car ride home today. And uh, like those, basically the, the terms that we started to come up with, resource management, um, you know, warm kind of anime-esque art style. Uh, and yeah, it's about dying. So it's, uh, it's pretty well summed up there. Mm -hmm. The spoiler policy for today's episode is, um, we're going to talk about what it's like to play this game. Of course, it's going to be a kind of regular spoiler policy. I suppose, uh, this game 
is really, really story heavy, but there is a lot of like gameplay stuff going on too. We're going to set up the story. And I think I want to spend a little bit more time in this episode talking about what this game is trying to do story-wise, um, more so than some other games in spoiler sections, but we will for sure not spoil specific things that happen to specific characters uh, in the game. Although the game is about dying, so there will be plenty of that. Uh, so um, getting into our histories with Spiritfarer and what made us want to play this, I always turn it over to the guest first. So Charlie, Lauren, what made you want to play Spiritfarer? How did you first hear about this? So we actually heard about it from our friend Wes, who is a pretty avid gamer. Um, I'm not huge into gamings or like into really playing games. The most active I've ever been was with Dance Dance Revolution back in 2002 through 2006. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, but he said that he thought it would be a good game for us to play because he and his wife played it together and she isn't a gamer either. Um, but he said, you know, it was kind of like anime-esque or whatever, like the layout of it and was very calming and zen. And he did not mention that it is heavily related or like heavily surrounded by death or whatever, but he's like, I think it would be a good game for both of you to play. So, Mm -hmm. and Charlie has tried multiple times over the years to get me to play a co-op game with him. And I think the only things we've done so far are Harry Potter Lego. Yeah. That's been our one big success was Harry Potter Lego. So, and that's um, mostly because I just really love Harry Potter. (laughs) So I felt triumphant to, to get her to sit down and enjoy a game with me. And I think she really did. I I don't want to speak for her, but, um, we, but you can speak. (laughs) (laughs) I warned you, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get to playtime, but we were heavily (laughs) invested in this game. Yeah. And, um, Yeah. yeah, I'd say, you know, from that gaming experience of like that, that kind of Lego or that Harry, uh, Lego genre, which is like generally kind of low in difficulty, low in stress and more about like exploration and kind of like light on mechanics that, that hit a sweet spot that we were already comfortable with as a couple playing co-op. So that was really, mm-hmm. uh, really nice part of it. He did have a few talking points. He's like, yeah, so you get to have a garden and you get to have a cat. That's, <laughs> those are all true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for me, I, I I remember seeing this in like, it was like a Nintendo direct or something like that. And I remember seeing like the art style was the main thing that made me interested in it and the subject matter, uh, because lots of games have death. You die in most video games that you play many, many times, but not many games are about death. Uh, so I was interested by the subject material, but the fact that it's a crafting and management game kind of made me go, do I really want to play this? Because I don't really like um, games with endless crafting loops. But I decided to give it a try. It started to get really great reviews. And as soon as I started playing, as soon as the story picked up, I was totally hooked on it. And I played it for um, about, I want to say about 30 hours. This was before the DLCs dropped. So it was about 30 hours for the main game. And then when I waited until all the DLC characters were released. And then this summer I went back and I played through the DLC characters and that was another 10 hours. So I'm going to say about 40 hours for this game, uh, which is, it's pretty long. And we'll talk about this uh, later, but was this your experience too? 
Yeah, well, we um, we had gotten it, I think, after all the DLCs had dropped. We just got it as a package. I think it's called the Farewell Edition. It's just mm-hmm. it comes com- complete. So we didn't see the line between where what was DLC characters and what wasn't. So it just right. seemed like a se- seamless experience for us. And uh, yeah, I would say that we were... Um, we can talk about this as we get into mechanics, but like the the kind of crafting management loop was a big part of um, what like kept us sinking hours into the thing. Um, that that part of it can be addicting, and like if you're not careful, can derail your progress. But yeah. uh, um, so we ended up with like 45 hours, um, and we we ended up like um, not not really trying not. Uh, I wouldn't say we were um, strategizing or anything, but we ended up like 96% complete um, just because we didn't want to stop playing really. So just that's sort of naturally where our, where our journey ended was 96%. Hell yeah. Awesome. Uh, I don't think I got nearly that high a percent. I I wouldn't even know where to check, but um, I did complete all the characters, of course, uh, did some of the extra side quests, stuff like that. So I, I feel good about my, you know, completion um, of the game. And getting to some opening thoughts here, um, I, I kind of mentioned this game is pretty long. Um, I only really felt the length start to get to me in like the last couple hours I was playing, um, the last character that I was working on. Other than that, though, this was an absolute, like like you said, addicting crafting loop um, to get you it was hard to put this game down uh, because of that, but also because I was really into the characters and the story. Um, I think that this game kind of takes a big swing with a big subject talking about death and the way we experience death. And I think they hit it out of the park. Like I couldn't think of a way that this game could have done this better. And so I had a great time with this and I'm, I'm pretty excited to dig into it. How about you guys? Yeah. I mean, um, I feel similarly because I had heard um, a lot of similar thoughts about it. Uh, some of them from you, but like kind of as we were getting into the game for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had heard uh, phrases like gut punches and I was like ready for, um, you know, obviously the subject matter, you're going to have some of those experiences. I don't know if I expected it to be, more grim than it ended up being throughout. Like there was, there was levity to a lot of, a lot of it. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like the, the balance that it strikes, um, to like still hit those, those heavy moments, but not be like kind of weighed down. And, and, uh, you know, there's like a, a balance between like the joy of life and the heaviness of some of the subject matter that really, makes it a, you know, an enjoyable experience. It's one of those things like, are we using the word joy, right? I had this discussion with um, Rick from Pixel Project when we talked about, did we enjoy Lisa the Painful? Right. Um, Like, what is joy? But like, appreciation versus joy. But uh, I think it strikes a really nice balance, which, you know, keeps you coming back. Lauren, anything to add? Um, I kind of had a different experience than Charlie playing this game. I did know that it did involve death, but not to like the extent that it did. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of go into detail about that later when we're not worried about spoilers or anything. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of music from Spiritfarer, um, and then we'll come back and we'll get into uh, what the story setup is. Mm-hmm. 
So in Spiritfarer, you play as Stella, who is a young woman um, who is tasked with taking over for Charon as the Spiritfarer, um, the the rivermen taking people to the afterlife, um, not Karen calling the police on people having fun in the park, uh, the <laughs> rivermen. Um, so the game opens up with Stella being ferried uh, by Karen, and you see it. Uh, but then Karen says, wait a second. Actually, today's my last day as the spirit fairer. Now it is your turn, Stella. You are going to be the spirit fairer. And that's what you're doing in the game, along with your cat, Daffodil, who um, this is how the co-op works. So I know you two played this game together. Did you play couch co-op with one play, one person watching and one person playing, or did you both take the sticks and one person controls the cat like that? I was the cat. Right on. Yeah, I, I had always... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, I played this by myself, uh, so I knew that you could do it like that. And I think as the cat, you can... Can you do everything that Stella can do, or can you just do crafting, harvesting actions like that? So I think I could do everything that Stella could, except that I couldn't talk to any of the spirits. Right. But everything else, like we figured out that, you know, I could do like navigation and literally anything else. Okay. Yeah. And she could, so Daffodil, Daffodil could talk, um, could like initiate a, a conversation uh, for some of the actions that you can interact with the characters that don't like advance a quest or advance the story. Um, but if the, if the character had like an exclamation point that says like, boom, I want to, I want to give you some information to advance my quest or I'm ready to advance my quest. Daffodil couldn't start that interaction. It had to be, had to be Stella. I see. Okay. Makes sense. You are a cat after all, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, so it's Stella and Daffodil and, the way that the story works is Stella has these spirits that you have to go meet around the world. Um, you talk to them, you invite them onto your boat. That's where most of the game takes place is on a boat. And you meet the spirits, you learn about their stories, uh, you help them settle things, basically, uh, come to acceptance that it's time to move on to the afterlife. You can think of the game world where it takes place as a um, you know, an in-between space, like a purgatory of sorts, but much uh, more fun than uh, other depictions of purgatory. It's not just like an empty void, like they're living in towns with other spirits and stuff like that. So um, you are meeting them and helping them move on to the afterlife. And the way that the game progresses is you have to get all the spirits out. That sounds mean but get them <laughs> through the ever door help to them move on yeah help them move on <laughs> yes <laughs> um not you know like kicking them out the door um in the rain or something like that so you're going through here and so like there is an overarching story in the game but it's really the story of these 16 different spirits their individual stories the way that they uh, relate to stella and things like that so one of the things that I really liked about this uh, game is that I thought that this game had a ton of heart behind it. Um, almost, it's something I praise um, indie games for a lot, is having a a more human touch that would kind of get sanded down by large corporations making video games, uh, basically, focus groups and things like that. Um, and the creative director uh, of the game mentioned that the game stories are based on um, the studio and the the team's collective experiences with loss in their life. 
and they wanted to make a game that handled death in a way that felt personal and intimate, uh, referencing their own experiences losing family and loved ones. And I, I'd, I'll turn it over to you guys, but I thought they really just hit a home run here. Every one of them. I, I like what you said about the um, that experience of like sometimes a, a game coming out of a, a bigger um, studio can can feel like I think you mentioned like can feel like it's got some of these edges sanded sanded down smoothed over mm-hmm. and like the realness of this it feels it feels like it has all those rough tangible edges not in an unfinished way but in a way that like lends a lot of reality to it mm-hmm. um, and so you can immediately tell that it that it comes that it feels like real experiences when you're interacting with these characters because they don't feel like they're trying to sell you something like sell you a story that they know works they're just trying to tell a real experience um and then let you take from it what you will um which feels really authentic and i think that's why some of those moments can be so powerful um and they they're I think because of that, like, again, that reality, that lack of like crafting it in a way that it's marketed to, to everyone, each character is going to speak to a different player, uh, and, and hit them in a different way. Like, you know, like Lauren said, she and I even had different experiences with this. There were some that hit me in a certain way. There were some that hit her harder. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that speaks to the, you know, the variety and the depth of, of that real life experience. Yeah. And one of the things that I really liked about it is like you said, different characters are going to hit people different ways. And because the characters feel like distinct real people, even to the point where like, they're not all likable characters. Some of them Mm -hmm. I really disliked as like, if they were a real person, I would have really disliked them. I would not have wanted (laughs) to spend any time with them. And yep. that it, it mirrors real life in a way like the lots of games and media want to make stories that have lots of characters that are likable, but not everyone you meet in real life is likable. And I give this game a lot of credit for really pursuing that and making it true to that. Yeah. And even in instances where games might try to market a lot of their characters as likable and others as like purposefully unlikable, like a heel character. Like you didn't get that either. You just got like, oh, this person isn't a bad person. This person just like rubs me the wrong way. Like we don't vibe, you know, like this person hasn't been focus grouped. They're not designed to be a character that's dislikable. They just don't speak to me personally. And that's okay Mm -hmm. because not everyone has to. And a lot of those characters have things going on under the surface too, that are slowly kind of revealed to you and there are people who put up a front to cover up their insecurities uh, in a way that, again, it feels super real. It didn't make me want to talk to that person, but uh, when you get down to the heart of it, the, um, even the unlikable characters, there's there's a, a like a love inside of them and in their creation. I think. There's, oh, yeah, there's a way to relate with every single character. Yeah, um, like you said, some of them just like at the very beginning. I remember. I was just like, oh my God, get off this boat, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you just literally I, wrote I just me the wrong your way. House. Like, Can I, I'm going to tear this house down. I'm going to drop you off at the shore. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to burn everything. Uh, have fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And you could tell that they were purposely done and not just like 
generic characters like oh we're gonna make some of them really great we're gonna make some of them really horrible and just yeah there is that underlying like sense that every person can relate in one way or another it's just not always necessarily like apparent at first Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah there were characters that i felt like okay i'm waiting to find the part that hooks me in like i'm assuming that it's going to be in there but i'm like you know i don't know am i gonna how am i gonna feel um, when it's time to let this character move on. Cause I mean that I don't think it's a spoiler to say like, that's what, that's what's happening with each of these characters. Right. It's kind of the premise of the game is that you're helping them to move on. So at that moment, like your journey with them and you getting to, to identify with their story, that's the moment where if there's going to be an emotion that wells up, it's going to hit you at that moment. And so sometimes you think forward to when I, when I help this person move on, am I going to feel something? And Mm -hmm. I would say more often than not, the answer was yes. Even for the characters that I wasn't sure that I was vibing with, you know, in my, you know, moment to moment interactions with them. Yeah. There were, uh, thinking back, I would say there were two characters that when it was time to send them off, um, I was like, I don't like them as characters, as people, but it it fits in here again, because not everyone you meet in real life, not everyone you're connected with, not everyone even in your family or people that you're close with, you don't like it, everybody. So it, it felt very real to me that there were a couple where I was like, they're just kind of real pieces of shit. I'm not so super sad to see them go, but um, it, it felt a lot more real than if it was just 16 of the nicest, most caring people you've ever met that you're sending off. Right. So it would be a very different game. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would. So what you're doing, uh, we've kind of, um, been working toward this, what you do with each character, you meet them, you invite them on the boat, you do some quests for them. Uh, one of them includes building them a home on your boat and you basically do quests to help them through stages of like acceptance, help them work through insecurities or doubts or regrets that they had when they were alive. And then at the end, when it's time to say goodbye, you take them to the place called the Everdoor and uh, you say goodbye and they move on. And that moment when each character goes through, Charlie, you referenced this, um, is a big, powerful moment every time no matter how you felt about that character. And I give a lot of credit to the music that plays during this too, um, the animations and things too. Um, that moment is always really, really, um, strong. And the first time I did it and the last time I did it, same, if not more emotions, the last time than the first time, it never really wore out. It's welcome. I didn't think. No, I'd say the same. I'd say if anything, there was like a momentum to it. Like it built, you know, it's like, I don't know, there's sure there's something to the unexpectedness of the first one where you're like, oh, I, I didn't know I wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. And as the game progresses, you kind of understand the flow, the pacing of like when it's going to be someone's time. But I don't know, somehow even understanding that doesn't lessen the blow of it, um, which I think is true in real life as well. I mean, the time scale is obviously a lot a lot different, but right. Yeah. In this game, you are, um, you're doing 16 characters in 40 hours or something like that. So 
lots of this happening in, like we said, a, re- a pretty condensed time span here. But it, it's not like you you don't meet a character and then send them off and then meet another character and then send them off. You will meet you know, three characters, then you'll send the first one off. Then you'll meet two more, then you'll send off number two. So you you do get a, a sense of a community on the boat as well. Uh, different characters will interact with each other a little bit. Um, and the kind of evolution of the community on the boat. And I remember when I first started and I had those first four characters that felt a lot like family. And then I got to the end and it was a much different group um, and a much different dynamic, I felt like based on their personalities and things too. And yeah, I just can't say enough good things about what they're doing with the story here. For sure. I think that that word community is so important um, because it gives those characters a chance to uh, not just interact with you in a vacuum, but you get to see them interact with each other. Like they get to have, you get to see that they have lives outside of your interaction with them, which again, brings a lot of depth um, mm-hmm. and I think because of that more emotional weight, um, anything that adds to their reality adds to that emotional weight that you're going to feel at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other part that this story is doing is that you are going to discover why Stella was chosen to be the spirit fairer. Um, because when you look at that screen, the very first, you know, cutscene that plays out, you have Stella, she's, a, I would say at least a young woman, no older um, and Charon, the giant, you know, death, uh, image, Stella doesn't look like she should be the one that's taking this over, but you're going to find out why, why is she the one? And I enjoyed how that slowly was revealed. Although the DLC characters did a lot to explain that, um, and in the base game, they didn't have nearly enough context, I don't think. So I hope that uh, people listening, if you did play the base game, but didn't do the DLC characters, go do them because they give you a lot of context. And if you haven't played, I don't, I, I don't think you even have a choice anymore, but make sure you get the version that has the DLC characters. It's all free anyway. So like, you're not going to miss them now, but I, I did want to point that out because I, I played the base game and I had to look up um, I think it was in like the game's art book or something like that at the time. I had to look up some key information and then the DLC characters, um, specifically Lily, I think, um, gave that information. Yeah, I'm kind of curious now to know what the base game was like. Yeah, we can we can touch on that just briefly. But I know that in some of our conversations, Dave, that um, when when Lauren and I were getting close to the end of the game, I was asking you some questions Trying not to, trying not try, to Google them to spoil everything. Right. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get some like spoiler-free guidance on like, or you know, how close are we, or, or this and that. And mm-hmm. um, and I was surprised to find out that some of the DLC characters weren't in the base game because I assumed because of the significance and because of how much they shed on that point that you're addressing, yeah, like that. Why you know they're the reason that you understand why Stella is the the logical choice for this position. And I was like, how is that not, how is that not in, like <laughs> intended end game material from, from the base game? So right. yeah, I think the DLC is absolutely critical. Um, so Dave's, Dave's point is, is well served. If you have, if you've played the base game and not the DLC, you're definitely missing what I would consider like the true 
quote unquote ending. I mean, not, not the ending, but like the, the thing that fleshes out and yeah. rounds out the end of the game. Yep. hundred percent. So the, the last kind of story bit here, unless you guys have anything else is, um, kind of, this is a, one of two or three common criticisms that I've heard about this game is that it is quite long, uh, 40 hours for a crafting and story game. Um, and I said that I started to feel that right toward the end. Um, and it wasn't like a critical thing because the game was over like two hours later, but, um, I got to a point at the end where, I did not need to craft anything. I had so many materials. I had so many farms and livestock and everything. I didn't need to craft anything. I had enough wood for the rest of my life. Um, so I was just kind of ferrying back and forth between quest points. Um, and I started to feel um, the length of the game for the first time. Did you guys have this experience? Did you think that there are too many spirits or that the game dragged on longer than you were enjoying it? I enjoyed it. Um, honestly, and this is probably a very different perspective than most people have. I felt that it probably could have gone on longer, but that's because towards the end, I kind of like started figuring things out and mm-hmm. it got to the point. It's like, ah, no, I don't want this to happen. Yeah. Um, again, that's a, probably a different viewpoint than most people have, but that's because of like personal experiences, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we kind of had like a weird situation anyway, because we started the game in what, like April, May? Yeah, maybe something even like earlier. That. Yeah. And That's then we true, were homeless yeah. for like a month and a half. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of put everything on hold. <laughs> the, like the time scale of us playing this was, you know, we like played literal months, maybe two or three sessions of, you know, a couple hours each and then long break because we didn't have access to gaming. Uh, and then, you know, we moved into our house and then immediately back into the school year, we both work at a college. So then it was like the gaming sessions were few and far <laughs> between. So like our, our pace of play through this thing was every four weeks, we'll have a five hour gaming session yeah. night uh. of this game. You know, so I, I don't know that, that probably skews our perception of the pacing, <laughs> but, uh, but more to your point, like I would say at the, towards the end, I started to feel like, okay, let's, let's stop. Uh, investing in this like management loop. Uh, let's, let's get to the point a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, like we had a billion dollars and we had, uh, or the, you know, the in-game currency glims, we had like a billion glims and we had every, you know, every resource we needed. But, um, but I think there's a type of player that really enjoys that loop. And so I didn't want to, because I knew that Lauren was in, enjoying that aspect of the game, um, the mechanical aspect of it. And maybe, and maybe I didn't realize until now that like part of that was kind of like putting off the ending of like, if I invest in this, I don't have to see what's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't want to rush that part of it. So we just let that play out. You know, we were happy to, even though we had as many resources as we needed, anytime we were going from point to point to finish a quest, we were never still, we were never, we never traveled in, you know, there's a, there's a mechanical like safe mode where you can kind of like avoid events along, along the path from, from one point to the other. Uh And we can get into that a little bit more mechanics, but, um, you know, okay, let's plant all of our gardens full of carrots, not because we need carrots. We have 700 carrots, but we have (laughs) 50 carrot seeds and 
you know, as soon as something is fully grown, let's pull it up, let's plant something else. It's like we would just make the loop around the boat because as large as the boat was by the end of the game, as soon as you made a loop through everything that you could do upkeep on, the first it thing starts again <laughs> was ready yeah. to pop again, you know? Uh-huh. So we would, I mean, a typical session for us would go, all right, two and a half hours in, we say, all right, we should probably start wrapping up. You know, it's like getting late. We should, we should think about going to bed. Two and a half hours later. Yeah, a literal, yeah. <laughs> a half hour later, we had done all of the, okay, well, we'll just finish these quests because we can see the thing or we have the item. And then an hour after that, we would finish the crafting loop to where we felt like we were at a stopping point that we could go to bed. So, like, <laughs> I mean, after the point we said enough is enough, it was an actual hour and a half before we stopped because we were just enjoying that part of the game. So, I think I think being not over that part of it meant that we never felt like that was exhausting our, our like, you know, story uh, attention span. Yeah, it is a hard game to put down. And when we put this down, I said... You know what? This maybe is a dangerous suggestion, but we should play. Uh, uh, we should play Stardew Valley together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From one addiction to another. Yeah. So the gameplay in Spiritfarer, we started to get into it there with the crafting loop. So there are a couple main things that you're doing here. Uh, The first thing is that you're running quests for the spirits that are on your boat. Um, They will ask you to go get get them things, um, things that they value, things that are going to help them tie up loose ends, etc. Things to help them uh, get comfortable. Uh, Maybe they're going to ask you to build them um, a house. And then usually each spirit also comes with a um, a quest to build some kind of building structure, structure <laughs> yes, uh, that relates to one of their hobbies or something from their life. Uh, so, for example, you meet a character who was an artist uh, when they were alive, and so they ask you to build um, kind of an art studio type of thing um, or a gallery. I think it, I think it is. So. Um, you are often running quests, collecting materials to do those. And then sometimes they will say, I need you to go here, um, you know, retrieve this precious uh, MacGuffin for me. Uh, It's very special to me, please. uh, I need it. Um, And so (laughs) you're out doing that. And uh, so what you do is you look at the big world map on your boat, you pick a destination and you set sail. And another thing I like about this world map is that the the locations on it... um, the naming conventions are like naming conventions for like Japanese places on the west side of the map. And uh, as you get more east or even northeast, you start to get into more European sounding and then even like uh, like Nordic sounding um, places like in the northern portion of the map. And it lends like a like this this world that you're inhabiting is kind of obviously like a a, a spirit world. You're meeting spirits. But um, it's mirroring the real world in a way that I think lends um, kind of a lot of character and like world building uh, to this. Yeah, I, that was super interesting to me too. I think that uh, that point escaped me for a little while that the, the map geography and, and the real world geography kind of like were overlaid one another. Um, 
I spent a lot of the first half of this game thinking, like, where was this game developed? And I never went, took the time to, to like, investigate that, you know, partially because of how busy we were and moving and all of that. It's Canada, right? Well, but yeah, I was like, is it, is it a Japanese game? Is it a Canadian game? Um, and I think it's, I think there are teams either in both locations or there's like a, I, I can't remember when we finally watched the credits. Um, it seemed like there were uh, influences of both, like either like Japanese, Cana- like uh, Canadians that were like Japanese expats, or I-, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it seemed like there was a like a healthy mix of like Canadians and and Japanese uh, on the production team. Yeah, the um, the headquarters at least for the studios in Montreal. So okay. um, you, you probably do have a bit of an, an international influence just from being there um, more so than where I live. So um, or where we pretty, live. Are you yeah, saying exactly. that Ohio isn't like the epitome of, of the melting pot? I was going to say Ohio is not the melting pot that you may think no, it is if you've never been that's here. That's North Dakota. It's hard to believe. Yeah, hard to believe. <laughs> so um, one uh, one sticking point. I want to get your guys' opinion, and I think I already know because of how you described your kind of opening thoughts uh, about the game. One sticking point for some people, and this got to me too toward the end of the game, is that when you pick a spot to go, uh, unless you're literally traveling like a couple inches on the map, the boat rides take a long time, um, especially early in the game when you haven't upgraded your boat uh, very much. And this is... Uh, another point of criticism that I hear about the game is that the boat rides take forever. So did this bother you too? I, I think it's a similar answer to what we mentioned about like, was the story too long? And the answer is if you are having fun on the boat in route, notice that it takes forever. Yeah. Then you don't notice. So like we were never static. We were always invested in, gardening something or using the windmill taking care of spirits making things fishing yeah fishing i would say fishing was like if we finished everything else possible then we were fishing yep uh yeah like we i think we ended up 100 percenting the fish there were a lot of collections that you could do in the in the game um and there was like an in-game mechanic for for um getting some rewards for finishing collections i think there was only one we didn't finish maybe yeah there was there were like six or seven collections and we had one item missing from one of the collections when we were done. So mm-hmm. um, I think along with the boat speed upgrades and the fact that if you wanted to, you could put it into safe mode. So there are certain events that would, it would bypass, de- delay your progress between yeah. uh, destinations, uh, which were a fun part of the game unless you had done enough of them and you were like, you know what? I don't need to see that for the mm-hmm. hundredth time. You could put it in a safe mode and bypass that. So that will shorten it a little. I mean, it won't shorten it, but it'll, it'll keep it from delaying, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think the pace hit okay for us, yeah. even to the end between say, the speed upgrades and the fact that we were invested in the, in the uh, crafting loop. We also took advantage of the bus stops like a lot. Mm-hmm. That's true. The bus stops. I, I don't know if, I'd be curious to see if that was DLC, like if that was one of the early. It was always in there. Yeah. So there's, this is the game's fast travel system for people who haven't played. Um, You cannot fast travel from place to place, but you can go to these bus stops that are around the world. I would guess that there's maybe 15 of them around the map. Um, And then 
you can instantly travel from bus stop to bus stop. So it's not directly traveling from the place you are to the place you want to go, but you can go to a bus stop relatively close by, travel to a bus stop that's relatively near the place you want to go. So it's it's a couple extra steps. It's not a full replacement for fast travel, but I'm with you too. Like the boat rides are long, but I got a lot of shit to do on the butt on the, uh, on the boat. And this is my time to get it done. Um, I got to take care of the spirits. The spirits get hungry. You got to make them food. You got to figure out their favorite foods. Um, I got to go around every morning and give everybody a hug. Um, I've got to, and then it's time to get to work. I got to fucking tend the loom, shear the sheep, grow the carrots, uh, all that stuff. I got so much to do. And that time when the boat is moving is time to take care of everything. So again, the only time I felt this as a, a drawback was at the end of the game when I had literally nothing that I had to do. I had one spirit on the boat. I had nothing I needed to craft. And I just, you know, I hit travel to the bus stop. Maybe it takes 30 seconds. I will doom scroll on Twitter for 30 seconds and then it's time to get moving again. So I, I never really like felt this as a, a, a bad part, really. I mean, it was fine. Um, so getting into that, uh, crafting stuff, um, you are constantly collecting materials, uh, to craft things, to upgrade your boat, to build houses for your spirits, um, to build those kind of other buildings. Um, like I've mentioned a, a loom, you have to build that a windmill, a sawmill, um, a forge, all of that stuff. You have to collect materials and build, um, on top of, cooking, fishing, all the materials that you might expect from a game like this. Um, so you start out with a, a pretty small boat. By the end, you you keep upgrading the boat. By the end, you're 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 like a fucking shipping container or a, uh, you know, a cargo uh, <laughs> yeah, boat, ocean liner. Yeah. yeah, an ocean liner like you have tens, dozens of buildings stacked up super high and uh, this fucked up like buildings built on top of other buildings. There's no like, I don't know. Did you guys go back and like replan to make it look nice? Mine was a mess by the end of the game. We did go through a couple of times and like rearrange things to where we felt that it would better or made more sense to like my weird brain. Yeah. Like we would group some, like we had multiples of some buildings. We would group them together. And then honestly, there were some that I literally just put out of the way because the spirits pissed me off so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because i didn't care for them like nope you're going over here where i don't have to see you yeah um yeah we we did kind of like rearrange things but it was very chaotic at the end just because we were out of space yeah i would say yeah all, all the stuff we're talking about all the mechanic stuff all the the you know like how do you organize your boat a lot of this was fun for me because i wanted to see what drew lauren as a gamer so Whereas if I had played this game by myself, I might have like, I don't know, streamlined it or, or maybe I wouldn't have cared. And it like, like you, Dave, it would have just been like a haphazard mess. Like there were, there was like an unspoken division of labor in what we did. I do all the cooking and cleaning because I'm a woman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it was like we, we just both gravitated to what spoke to us. So like every one of the little upkeeps has its own little mini game. So like, yeah. I always did the lumber because she didn't feel like she could. I was horrible she was at it. Good That's at the lumber, why. and it, she did the loom. Yeah, 
because like I I thought the loom was mind numbing, but for her it was zen. You know, like there was yeah. like we just drew. You know, and then there were things like gardening we would both do because it you know it was just like a little scratch that we had to itch. Um, she liked the cooking mini game because she wanted to discover every recipe in the recipe book. And I would spend time in the foundry because I, I like dialing in the little heat. So like you're the man and that's your job. My place. Yeah. I did all the manly shit and she did all the girly shit. You know, it's, I know my it's, place. It's okay to no. <laughs> we, I'm just saying, you know, like we had our, our things that drew us and then there were things that sort of like overlapped, but, um, it was a, it was kind of a fun to see it shake out naturally. And then there were places where like, again, because I was so excited that she was playing a game with me, like I wanted her to have as much control as possible. So if she was interested in the feng shui of the boat, I was like, great. Every time it's time to edit the layout or every time it's time to lay out a new building, mm-hmm. you're up. You, you show me what you want to do. I'll just get to like take the back seat, which is a fun, fun place to be. I think I did notice you doing that. Yeah, it's a it's a good move. Um, I I applaud it. Uh, did you did you also? The, I will say the only editing that I really cared about on the boat was sometimes I would have a spirit that I really liked, and I would be like, you know, I'm going to move your house away from the sawmill because I bet that's loud, uh, and I, <laughs> I like you. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes I did that, or I'd be like, you know, I don't really like this character. I'm going to put their house on top of the forge. You're going to get all the fumes from the forge. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Did you yeah. guys do that too? <laughs> there were some that like we purposely like tried to cater to, um, you know, like keeping them closer to the ground or closer to X, Y, or Z, depending on like the things that they like to do and that mm-hmm. they like started to explain like what they did in their lives and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then again, like I said, there were some, I was just like, nope, fuck you. I'm going to put you all the way over here away from everybody. So I don't uh-huh. have to think about you. Well, <laughs> yeah. So Lauren, what you mentioned there, like, that's a good point. Some of the characters will interact with those buildings, right? So like one mm-hmm. of the characters will use the sawmill. One of the characters will cook in the kitchen and they'll like give you items from that. So mm-hmm. if you can organize it so that their house is near to that, you know, there's like a little RP to that. And and we did little RP touches like that too, where, um, anytime, a, a spirit was like doing their kind of like procession to the, the little boat, the, uh, the little like dinghy or whatever. Yeah. The, the, the yeah, little boat that takes you off of the big boat and onto the mainland. I don't, I'm not up on my nautical terms. Right. <laughs> um, but like you can just go sit in the boat and click square and just like move, move on. But we would always like walk with, with them, them right like mm-hmm. we would like let them take their time we weren't in a hurry for that animation we would like take in that moment so there were little i would say role play touches that we added that that brought a lot to our immersion in the game yeah it, it is a game that did um inspire me to want to like cater to and take care of npcs a lot more than um a lot of other games i played where you're supposed to like and take care of npcs like stardew valley for example I, you, that's a game where you're supposed to form relationships with NPCs around town. I didn't really give a shit about them in that way, <laughs> uh, in that game. I was so focused on my shit in Stardew Valley. I'm trying to impress my grandpa, but in, <laughs> um, in Spiritfarer, you get, you're totally right. Like I did want to take care of the spirits. They all have their favorite food. I wanted to make their favorite food and give it to them. Like you said, when it's time for them to move on, time for them to move to the little rowboat, walk with them, take your time, let them, you know, 
don't rush, not that you can rush them in the game, but I did kind of role play that, like you guys said. Um, so there's a ton to keep you occupied uh, during your free time in the game, um, taking care of these spirits. The only other gameplay thing to bring up, and it's not really something worth discussing, I don't think, but it is part of the game, is that there are some Metroidvania type ability gates. Uh, for example, you get a double jump in the game and there are just some places you can't go until you get the double jump. And this is how they gate off characters from you until a further point um, in the game. They, they don't want you to get to a point where you have like 12 spirits on your boat and it's not really possible, I don't think, uh, to do that. So just another thing um, that you'll notice, you know, as soon as you start, you will realize like, there's a bunch of telephone lines here and there's something up at the top next to a telephone line. I can't get to it now, but you'll be able to later. So that's kind of the the last thing about gameplay here. I, I may have one more thing to add about gameplay that I think okay. is, yeah. is fun got? and interesting. Just like, so other than the, the, the crafting management things that happen as like a function of the boat, there's also different events that are happening as functions of the boat traversing through the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like sometimes you have these real time events where you interact with the environment, um, whether it be weather conditions or mm -hmm. like wildlife, um, and you, you get a bunch of resources, but they're all tied to a specific character. So a specific spirit will introduce that to you. Um, and they'll be the one that like triggers the event or, or like you go to them to say, yes, I want to like, ha I want to let this event happen. And it's a little mini game that's contained within the travel between, you know, point to point. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of that, like, that's where I would say the, like the, one of the biggest places that the platforming comes into, into play is mm -hmm. in those events where you're trying to get around locations on the boat quickly to like, you know, catch a jellyfish or bottle a, a bolt of lightning or, yeah. you know, catch a comet or whatever it is. Like those events, they're not part of your buildings and your structures. They're kind of like, environmental events that you run across. Yeah. Uh, I was into those for the most part when I needed those materials. And then as soon as those kind of things I needed to build that needed those materials, as soon as I was done with that, I was kind of happy that they did put in that safe mode where you're like, you know, I don't want to catch lightning bugs right now. I just want to go to this place. I have to travel through the lightning bug cloud. Um, I would, I would rather not. And the game is like, sure, you don't have to. So, and even if you don't turn on safe mode, like you said, you'll go into the place where the lightning bug mini game is. You have to go talk to the character. They'll say, do you want to do this? And you can say no. And they'll be like, okay, moving on. Off we go. It's um, pretty nice. It would be super annoying if they were unskippable, um, but uh, it's not. Yeah. So We did yeah. end up skipping a lot of those by the end, for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is a good little transition into talking about um, the way this game looks and sounds because those are some of the more uh, visually striking um, scenes in the game.
like I said earlier, one of the things that drew me in at the beginning was seeing how this game looked. Uh, I think that this game is gorgeous. It's super colorful. And another thing that I think really stands out is the, the quality of the animations in the game. Everything that you're doing, the running, the jumping, the hugs, the hugs are so good in mm. this game. The things that the cat's doing, um, all of the actions when you're shearing a sheep, they all have their own little bespoke animations. And I thought that this, aside from the animations looking great, great looking game the entire way through. I have nothing but praise for the art team uh, in this game. It's very fair. Not your typical purgatory. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, some of those touches are really nice. Like you mentioned, I, I don't know if you, if you figured this out in um, if you weren't playing co-op, but if you uh, crouch down as, um, as Stella uh-huh. and press square with daffodil underneath you, you'll, you can hug daffodil. I think I did know that you could hug the cat. Yeah. 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 It's super nice. And it's funny because, you know, like, I, I don't know how the, like, how, how does daffodil like interact with you when you're not playing co-op? Is it, is it like tails and Sonic the Hedgehog too? Is it just like running around, like generally being helpful in some moments or um, shadowing you and everything? No, Daffodil just follows you around. It doesn't really help with anything, but just kind of follow you jumping around. Um, There are lots of idle animations for Daffodil too. Like if Mm. you're fishing Mm -hmm. and Daffodil is next to you, Daffodil will start, you know, doing restless cat animations and stuff. It's super cute. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I guess as like two independent characters, it, it, it was like a significant thing to figure out like, oh, if we're standing in the same location, I can bend down and hug you. It was it was kind of a touching little, yeah, yeah. again, a little role play thing. Because we weren't always like next to each other. Like he might have been in the foundry and I could have been like running off, making sure everybody was like fed and happy and on mm-hmm. complete opposite end of the boat or anything like that. Yeah. And that's another thing to mention about co-op is that um, so the camera is... I'd say, I would say the camera does a pretty good job of like figuring out how to fit both of you in this screen, but it does a lot of zooming in and out. So if you guys are far apart on the boat, it's zoomed pretty pretty far out, which can make things like the sawmill game tricky because it's super tiny on your screen. Yeah. You're trying to like match that little dotted line as it as it zigs and zags through the through the um uh through the logs. Um but in general, like I would say the UI UX like really well adapted to to the co-op play it, it's it was dynamic and changed depending on how you guys were situated in, in uh position to one another how close you were um like what kind of task you were trying to do you could both open menus independent of one another mm. um so it was really i think it was really well done in that respect i was just going to ask you how they managed that and it sounds like they crushed it that sounds really yeah. really yeah. really nice <laughs> I would say the only times it was an issue, like sometimes if like if you're trying to open mail, it would be super tiny oh, text. Yeah. Like I'd have to get off the couch and walk across the living room to read the mail. Well, and part of it too <laughs> is that we moved into a larger house and the TV is a lot further away from us yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> the TV is further away. It's like a decent TV. Like I figured. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> TV used to be like six inches in front of our face and now it's like, yeah. what, 10, 15 feet? <laughs> nice. Um. Uh, did you guys mind a last piece of criticism that I hear about this game that again, only started to get to me at the very end is that I said that we have these beautiful bespoke animations for all the things that you're doing and you can't skip them. So every time you shear a sheep, you have to watch the sheep shearing animation. Every time you want to, 
you know, water the garden, you have to watch the entire animation. A lot of open world games are starting to get away from this, uh, specifically speaking of like Horizon Zero Dawn versus Horizon Forbidden West. You don't have to see the animation for collecting tree branches anymore. Just automatically collect them. Um, I didn't mind it so much in this game. At the end, I was a little bit like, I got one spirit left. I'm almost done with the game. Like, I I just kind of want to pick this up a little bit. But for the first, you know, 39 hours, I was happy to watch these animations because I think they're just really well made and I appreciated them. Well, I think for me, at least, I can't speak for him. Um, But like watching the small animations, like especially if we were in the garden or in the orchard or something like that, it's like, which one of us can get there first and get the thing? Nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a competitive aspect to our co-op play. It's like, yeah, I got the cherries and you didn't. So... (laughs) Yeah, I would say, again, like, well, because we were playing co-op every time, like, there was this division of labor, so maybe we didn't have to do as many individual tasks as somebody playing by themselves, and so that didn't maybe wear on us quite as much by the end. I think it would probably be a very different game if we played, like, single player. For sure, yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, I, I don't, it's hard to imagine kind of what that adjustment would be like, whether it would be drastic or whether it would be subtle. Mm hmm it's it's interesting now that i'm thinking about it if i'm picturing in my head you just kind of it would almost feel kind of soulless to me if you're going up to the sheep you press a and the wool instantly appears in your hand um, i think it would lose a bit of the charm that the game has so <laughs> i'm not i as much as like there were a couple times where i was like i have i have five sheep to shear and i have to watch the shearing animation five times um as much as i did think that a, like for a short period of time, I don't think I would give up the earlier portions of the game just to get a little bit of convenience of finishing that stuff faster uh, toward the end. I, w- I was into it for most of the game, enough to make it um, something that I really appreciate about the game. And just you know, one more time, we, we're all leading up to this big moment where you send the spirits off to the afterlife and the slow rowing of the boat as you're going through there, um, the hug that you give them before they pass on, it's uh, it's just really lovingly crafted. And I don't think I would want to take that away uh, from the game. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like the, um, you mentioned that kind of trend towards, uh, you know, quality of life, I guess, is how the people who want this all to be streamlined and simpler and Mm -hmm. less animations or skippable animations or whatever would frame it. But, um, so I've been playing a lot of, uh, satisfactory again. And in that game, I can, I can sprint through the woods and just hold the interact button and just like vacuum leaves into my inventory. Uh When I found that out, (laughs) I was elated. But at the same time, there's no soul in that game. There's no like investment in taking time to do like, there's the, no purpose. The, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the actually the goal of that game is is quite the opposite: is to like remove yourself from needing to do things. It's to yeah. automate. It's to get so like it's a totally different dynamic. It's a totally different objective of the game makers and the kind of experience that they're trying to craft for you. Mm-hmm. And this this isn't a game where like in Horizon you're not you're not running through the forest just hoovering up sticks so you can make arrows. It's in this game, if, you, if you're really buying into it, you are shearing sheep so that you can make something so that you can build this, uh, you know, art gallery for this character 
making them more comfortable on your boat so that they can peacefully move on to the afterlife. Like if you are bought into that, um, I don't think that this is really a big deal. Um, I do get impatient from time to time. So there were a few times where I was like, ah, the sheep, but not a big deal. Um, moving on last thing, I think, and saving it for last, just cause it's last in the outline, but it's not last for any lack of quality. And I think that's the music, which is just incredible. Um, in this game, you have your calm and your peaceful music when you're sailing or just hanging out in a town. Um, especially the song that plays when you're on the open water, moving around, doing your crafting stuff, or just fishing, chilling. Um, but this this song has a, a main theme, um, a, a recurring melody that that's used throughout the game and throughout its its big moments um, that will bring tears to my eyes now when I hear it because of the connection that I have with those um, emotional moments. And this is going to be one of those games when I go and edit in podcast music, I'm going to start crying when I do it, uh, because it got me almost every time it came up in the game. It's, um, it's a really beautiful melody that I love. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think along with that, they, they do a good job of both reusing that melody in a lot of different, uh, like textures, instrumentations and Mm -hmm. implementations to get different effects in different moments. But at the same time, having um, just really hard left turns from that main aesthetic that tie you into what this, what a specific character is about, and what like how their journey is different than the people around them. Mm-hmm. Some of the the aesthetic choices for the music that is tied to specific characters is so different. Um, it, it's like it came from a different game or from a different soundtrack. And mm-hmm. not in a negative way, like in a way that really brings impact and identity to each of these characters that you're helping to, to you know, carry carry along their way. Yeah, like each character had their own individual, like, tune. Mm-hmm. And they may have been similar in some aspects, but at the same time, like, if you could, and at some point you can replay them. She's like, oh, oh, I know who this is. And, like, you go on to the next one or something like that, and it starts to kind of... I guess in a way, bring back memories of those characters. So there's also like a nostalgia aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's also like some um, music that picks up when you're doing like those sequences, like we talked about when you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle, uh, et cetera. Um, I really enjoyed those kind of, it's not like intense, like you're in danger music, but it it does lend um, some excitement, uh, some action to, you know, you're, you're literally going around catching lightning bolts and the, I think the music uh, fits that really, really well. Um, but it, it's, I, I'm going to, if I remember anything about the soundtrack, uh, in this game, um, it's going to be that the way that the music swells when you get to the ever door, when a character is being sent off and all the emotions that are packaged into that moment. Um, music in video games really connects with the emotion of it for me personally, so I, I I will tend to get that back from hearing the song more so than I might like watching a video of something like that happening. Um, so I can put on the Spiritfarer soundtrack when I'm working and that song will come up and I'll get a rush of emotion from it. I mean, this game really, really connected with me um, in that way. The same way that I praised Nier Automata for um, earlier in the show. Uh, lots of other games like that too. This is definitely one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's interesting. There's even a little um, rhythm mini game 
where you can it's it's I mean it's really light in mechanics, but you can do a little <laughs> rhythm game along with that kind of main theme um, as a mini game to encourage the crops in your garden to grow. Oh right, yeah you you get a um you get a guitar I think it is um and there's yeah. a a guitar playing a little rhythm game and that's um one of the characters actually uh, needs you to do that for part of their quest and I had forgotten about the guitar until that so I had to look that up yeah but yeah. Very light yeah. rhythm. It's not guitar we did the hero, same. but it is not guitar hero. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, though, that'd be a very different game. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great if they built in the guitar hero mini game just for that one little thing. Or, you know, you're playing Bark at the Moon to help your carrots grow. That would be good. Everything is just stairway to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. So I think this is a good point for us to get into some wrap-up thoughts, um, recommendations, if we do recommend it. I'm going to a little housekeeping before we start uh, letting the spoilers fly. So the question in the last section here, simple question. Any wrap-up thoughts, and who would you recommend this game to? So me personally, I would recommend it to people that are kind of on the fence about even gaming in general, because mm-hmm. um, I was on the fence. Like he tried to get me to play Minecraft for what, two, three years, something like that. Um, but like this game definitely has like a Zen aspect to it. Like with some of the things that you can do in the game or whatever, it's, I don't want to say mind numbing because that's not the right word, but it's very calming and you do have a purpose. Um, so I would recommend it to people that typically aren't looking for a game, I suppose, or they just need something that kind of like they're able to step outside of their own life and create this whole another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely recommend co-op too. Though I am kind of curious to like just go back and play by myself. But I want to know if I can only be Daffodil. Like screw Stella. I don't. Think <laughs> I don't think you can do that. No. Oh, I'm. I'm sure you can't. I would say that. <laughs> That, that was interesting. Right before this recording, like uh, within the last week, we went back and just started a new game because we wanted to kind of like just just acquaint ourselves with that opening sequence again. And because it had been remember, eight months. Yeah. Remember how we got <laughs> into the game to, to begin with. And we swapped. That was the first time we swapped characters. So she was Stella and I was Daffodil. And like we just had to get used to the pace of play because, you know, I had you know, usually I was the one advancing the, the quests dialogue or whatever and now all of a sudden it was in her hands so it's just like a we're both waiting on something to happen it's like oh right that's my turn to do that i forgot yeah <laughs> um but yeah so in my my like who would i recommend this to i i i think i would recommend this game to almost anyone i mean the i, I well so people who are interested in the story i think you're absolutely right that um like Despite that kind of like resource management part of it, even if that's not something that draws you in as a player in general, I think the story, the art style, the music, they all work towards something powerful enough that, um, and, and that the rest of the mechanics are so light that mm-hmm. they don't feel like a barrier to enjoying the rest of it. Um, I feel like too that the the fact that those mechanics are are sort of like so light and accessible that it makes it open to people who like Lauren was saying like don't already don't game or or don't game a lot um because like I, I was saying on the on the way home today 
I think you could play this whole game without me. Like you don't need anything, any like timing, any mechanics that I have access to because I've gamed for, you know, since I was five years old that, that you don't have that like backlog of like innate, like gaming skill, Like you have every skill that you need to be able to get through the mechanics of this game It's very intuitive. Um, it's very accessible. Um, it's very user friendly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, so I would say anybody can enjoy this game and especially those drawn to powerful stories, emotional stories, and this art style in general, I think, which is a big hook. Um, so, I mean, that's almost everyone I would imagine. Yeah. But I, I'm sure there's a small <laughs> subsection of people that don't hit the people I just mentioned, but. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think you, you guys have brought up something that I didn't really think about uh, too much, which is that I do think that this game is good for people who don't play a lot of games. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like the type of person who played animal crossing and really enjoyed animal crossing and don't really play a lot of other games. And this might be a game that interests you because it's another elevator pitch that you could give for this game is it's like animal crossing with a story. Um, so for that type of person, I think that this is a really good game. The subject matter is pretty heavy. Um, especially if you get into it and you start thinking and connecting with it. Um, so I think you, you should be up for that, but I, I think I would recommend this game to pretty much everybody unless you really just like, you're not interested by the subject matter and the themes they're talking about. Or if you need a game that has tons of action, this game doesn't. Uh, so for me, I love games with lots of action. This game never felt like it needed combat or something like that. So it's a pretty easy recommendation um, to me for me. And I have recommended it to lots and lots of people. Anytime it gets brought up, I feel like it's my civic duty to shill it a little bit. So I'm doing it here again now. Um, I think this game's really, really well made. There's a ton of heart behind it. And it's really, really apparent uh, once you start playing. So a little housekeeping here before we get into spoilers. I would love it, people out there, if you joined the Tales from the Backlog Discord server uh, and came and chatted uh, with cool people such as Charlie and Lauren. Oh, you think we're Discord. cool? <laughs> bless your heart yeah lots of cool people in there come in say hi uh we would love to have you it's a great group of people um i would also love it though i'm certainly uh less um i'm certainly le- pressuring you less to uh join the patreon for the show um that is for people who want to support monetarily uh if you don't that's cool too i still love you other things as far as uh supporting the show um regular podcast stuff like uh telling a friend very helpful. Uh, sharing the episodes if you enjoy it, leaving a rating, a review if your podcast platform allows that, um, and following on social media so you know what games are coming up um, on the schedule, give you something to look forward to. I also do a podcast called A Top Three Podcast, where every episode we pick a topic and we do top three lists about that topic. Uh, sometimes it's about video games, so there's a little bit of crossover, but most of the time it's not. Uh, related to video games at all. So if you would like to hear me talk about anything else, literally anything else, that's your place. Uh, So that is a top three podcast. You can search that uh, while you're listening to the music. So um, we are going to take a break. When we come back, it is full spoiler time for Spiritfarer. 
All right, I'm back with Charlie and Lauren. We're doing spoilers for Spiritfarer. So um, time to get into it. We've been kind of like surface level talking about it, but it's, it's time to get into it. So I have a, a couple of sections for the spoiler section here. The first section is just kind of like the uncovering uh, plot of what was going on. And then we can talk about our favorite spirits, our most memorable spirits, maybe not our favorite, but uh, yeah. So going through the game, you learn um, that all of the spirits that you have, and I intentionally held this back, um, I think, at least I hope I held it back, all the spirits that you have uh, had real life connections to Stella. And you start out with uh, some of Stella's friends and family. The first couple of uh, spirits that you have on the boat are Gwen, who is a family friend of Stella's, and Atul, who is Stella's um, uncle. I believe. I thought and Gwen was a cousin. Cousin? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought. Yeah, I couldn't remember cousin. F- I think of the family, some, something kind of that, like uh, just outside the the nuclear family. Yeah. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. You may be right. It might have been a cousin, but we have um, a couple of very close people from you know family or very close friends, and then we start to get into people that were not in Stella's family, and we start to find out that. Uh, Stella in real life uh, was a hospice nurse. And this was what was missing from the main game without the DLC. I, I, there was nothing really, at least there was not a very clear indication that this is what it was. Um, I learned this from looking on online after I beat the game, because I still had that question. Why Stella? So this was brought in by the DLC characters that clearly spelled it out. Um, and that so many of those other spirits uh, are or were Stella's patients at that job. And this kind of gives you the context for why Stella was chosen to be the spirit fairer, because that was almost her job in real life. Um, as um, you know, that was her job in real life. Well, yeah, it was her job uh, was to kind of do the same thing, get people ready Uh, make them comfortable, uh, be with them, um, whatever they need, basically, uh, in the last, um, you know, days, weeks of their life. So I will say, had I known at the beginning that Stella was a hospice nurse, I would not have played this game. Interesting. I worked in oncology, which is cancer care, for four years. And we did Mm -hmm. work very closely with hospice. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, you're actively watching your patients die. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like... If I had known that, I'd be like, nope, there's no way in hell you can get me to play this game. I have seen enough death in my life. Too close to home. Yeah. Yeah. Really close to home. Mm-hmm. And thinking about it, like, one of my really good friends had played this game and she had told me, because she had played it before, like, and, you know, I told her that we were starting to play and she's like, I'm really surprised that you of all people is playing this because it's very heavy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And she's like, I'm not going to go into more details. And I kind of wish she had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> heavy how? And- heavy how? Yeah, because she knew that I had worked with cancer patients for so long and stuff like that. And just, yeah. And like the further that we got into the game, I'm pretty sure that Stella did die from cancer. She did. Yep. Yeah. Um, So let me ask you this then. (laughs) Knowing that, uh, do you think that the game did this well? uh, Yes. As someone who has real life experience with it. Yeah, they did this extremely well because... 
hospice is basically comfort care. Like you do make that person comfortable, but at the same time, you don't remind them that, oh, well, whatever your prognosis is, like, that's who you are. That's, that's not right. Like Mm -hmm. any of the spirits that she had, you know, they had like real life experiences and stuff like that. And they still talked about those things and not what was wrong with them. And that's like one thing that, especially for me, like when I was with patients or whatever, it wasn't that their cancer defined them. Like they're still themselves. And that's Mm -hmm. what hospice nurses do. It's like, no, you're still yourself and we're going to do whatever we can to make your passing easier. And we're not, if you don't want to talk about death, we're not going to talk about death. So just kind of like with Stella, like with patients in real life and then even with their spirits or whatever, it's still, no, you are yourself and you have these memories and we're going to do everything that we can to still make them prevalent. Like obvious, Mm -hmm. like you want to, you want to have a garden. We're going to have a garden. Just thinking back to Alice and her little orchard and baking and everything like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you, you got to see a lot of people have to deal with letting like you said, like letting that cancer define them or, or for other people, letting that cancer define that person. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, forget, you know, all of the other stuff that you want to do. Like you're, you're in this battle and we have to take care of this battle and like, and that's the only thing we can talk about. Just, yeah. But mm-hmm. to draw out all the other rich aspects of life. Yeah. And, not let that. and like, you don't, you just don't let your prognosis like define you as a person. Cause mm-hmm. like, some part of me wishes I do like wishes that I still did work with cancer patients. Cause like, I loved that portion of my life. Mm-hmm. It was like, we were having a party anytime somebody came in. Cause they were like, Oh, and like some of the, the other people that I worked with, they're like, Oh, well, you have to walk on eggshells. I'm like, no, you fucking don't. Like y- you want to have a disco ball in the waiting room. We're going to have a disco ball in the waiting room. Just, yeah. I don't know. Nice. Try to make things fun. Try to make yeah. things silly. Yeah. And, and that you just reminded me that like, I'm trying to think back on the spirits and the conversations that you have, and you're not really having conversations about how they died or things like that. You're having conversations about their life, the things, not always fun things, but often fun things. They're telling you stories from their life. Sometimes they're going through regrets, helping you, you know, tie up loose ends, et cetera. But uh, a lot of it is just them a couple characters in particular, just telling you fun stories from their life about how, how much fun they had and stuff like that. And it's yeah. not, you know, you're, you're talking to a bunch of, um, in the story they're dead, uh, but they're not focused on that. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's a good point. And I'm glad it came out here and not in the, uh, the non-spoiler part. <laughs> yeah. I was trying very hard not to say anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, I'm, I'm really happy then that you, that you think that this, uh, team did this well, because this would be yes. a, a big thing to, um, to fuck up if they did, but they didn't. Apparently that they, makes me happy. They to did hear not. That. Yeah. Good. I will say that like, it was very emotional for me anytime, like any character like moved on because you get these glimpses like into their lives and stuff. And it's like, Oh shit, it's this patient from like X, Y, and Z and just stuff like that. But yeah, you learn so much about like what made them them and you try to embody that. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I used to get really attached to cancer patients, like really attached and like mm-hmm. it got, so bad to the point that Charlie's like, I, I don't care if you work or not, just quit working there. Um, so yeah, I did get attached to characters, like even the ones that I didn't like in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think there was a single character that I didn't tear up. Like when we went to like take them to the Everdor. Mm-hmm. I cried a lot, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. That's I, okay. I do that a lot. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, I think there's even this, this dynamic between, um, two of the characters that kind of point, you know, picks at that point that she's mentioning actually really specifically this dynamic between, uh, Jackie and Dahlia. Is it? Oh, is yeah. It, Dar- or Daria? Daria. 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 Yeah. Um, where one of these characters is like experiencing this like mental break, this like having trouble grasping what is real and what is imagined. And another character is like dismissive of that. And they're in like a healthcare uh, caretaker position. Uh-huh. And they're just like, you are an inconvenience to my daily living. I don't know how to deal with this. I like just throwing their hands up at this character saying like, they're going to do what they're going to do and kind of brushing them off. And you are the one that kind of like is the, the person who's patient enough to hear what they have to say and, and let them be themselves. Um, and that's the thing that really lets that character blossom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that role that Stella plays in the game is very much like that, that role that Lauren tried to play in her, her real life when people around her were more like, you know, their patience was wearing thin and they just wanted to get through the day kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they, the one thing that becomes apparent as you start to figure out what Stella's job was, why she was chosen for this role is that the, the characters that you meet in the game, the spirits, their stories, the conversations that you have are kind of reflections of what I think happened in the real life when those characters were on their deathbeds, conversations that were happening when they're in hospice care, uh, Stella's just kind of experiencing them again as um, she is dying herself and kind of going through memories and uh, significant moments in her life. Uh, So it's, yeah, it just, that, that example you said with Jackie and Daria really stood out to me too when I was playing um, because I have heard from many people in healthcare where they're like, everyone is like, I know a Jackie where I work. There's always, there's people like that. And even on Uh their worst, even if it's not a bad person, just on their worst day at life where they're like, these fucking people like never stops. Um, Even if they're not a bad person, it turns out that Jackie is not a horrible person, at least not the way that I saw them. Um, But it it seems super well-realized and it, it really feels like they, the team that was writing this reached out in so many directions and not only reached out in so many directions, but like nailed it in so many different directions that it, it just makes it all the more impressive to me. Um, I wonder Lauren, if you agree with me, um, and the, like my anecdotal, you know, stories that I have about Jackie in particular. I did work with some Jackies. Yeah. I had multiple nurses tell me they're like, Oh, well you can't get attached because these people are just going to die. Like mm. you have to be detached and you can't let it affect your like personal life. And it's like, that's not who I am. Like mm-hmm. to my core by any means, like, no, I'm, I refuse to let their diagnosis define them. Yeah. Like I can't detach myself. I can't not care. That's yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah, I, you I definitely, <laughs> like you couldn't unplug that empathy. Yeah. I couldn't unplug it by any means. And just like mm-hmm. some of the people that I worked with, they're like, Oh, well you just have to not care. And it's like, what? And I, I have literally said to, like nurses faces before what the actual fuck is wrong with you they're mm. like well they're gonna die anyway i'm like that's a fantastic like point of view to have working in oncology like right this is easily the worst thing that they're going through and yeah they don't need you to remind them mm-hmm. like yeah well it brings up a super interesting question like 
Um, so Dave, you keep going back to like, so Stella's job makes her um, like kind of ideal for this position that she's taking on in the afterlife mm -hmm. and that she kind of demonstrates a lot of empathy, but at the same time, she's a silent protagonist. Yep. Uh, there's no dialogue that we hear from Stella. So like everything you, you get to experience it all, a lot of first person and you kind of get to fill in your halves of the conversation for yourself. So it kind of puts the, the player in that position of empathy mm -hmm. rather than watching two people interact on screen. Like it really feels like you're the one having those conversations and it kind of, yeah, I think it encourages that empathy onto the player, uh, yeah. which, which provides a lot of that emotional impact. 100%. So there are empathetic actions that you take as the player that you don't have a choice in because that's what the quest is. You have to do that. But there are other things like we talked about earlier, like you don't have to feed the characters their favorite food and you don't have to give them a hug first thing in the morning all the time. And you don't have to, um, you know, not make sure their apartment's on top of a sawmill. You don't have to do those things, <laughs> but the game does encourage those type of um, interactions if you're at all invested in what's going on. Um, and I think it's, yeah, just another just rousing success um, that all three of us had this kind of experience with it, um, even though, you know, I didn't really like all the characters and in video games, I'm not always the nicest to NPCs <laughs> all the time. Uh, so it, it's, it's, um, it, it's good. I'm glad that we're all kind of having this, this type of experience. So we, we talked about a memorable spirit, uh, or pair of spirits, Jackie and Daria, uh, mostly Jackie. I want to just kind of camp out and talk about more spirits that we found their stories to be interesting or the way that their stories ended to be interesting. Um, anything else that any other spirits that we thought were noteworthy wanted to talk about? For me, I think Alice hits the biggest. Um, and I don't know what this is. Like I, this is true for me and other media too, but like the, the dementia and like loss of memory and like, you're still there, but you can't have a conversation. Like you've lost whatever that like intangible connection between two people is. It's mm -hmm. just like really crushing. And when you start to see it in Alice, it's done. I mean, in a really, I mean, true to life way from what I understand, like it doesn't happen all at once. It's right. not linear. Um, it kind of like comes and goes and starts to get greater in severity as it, as you progress. Um, and it's just really tough towards the end. I, I, oh, I thought it was tough because like, as soon as you see the signs, but they're not outright with what, what's happening, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, is this about to be, is she, you know, experiencing early signs of dementia? And then there's like that fear weighs on you while you see it unfold more and more. And that one just, you know, I was bawling when, when it was time for her. Yeah. Yeah, that was one that I wrote down too. Um, so her story purpose is that she was the first patient uh, to die um, with Stella as a caretaker. Uh, aside from that, though, it's everything you said with the the slow progression of dementia. You know, each of the characters is probably on your boat for two to four hours, something like that. I mean, depending on if you rush to get all their quests done, but. Um, so it was kind of a slow unfolding of it. And by the time you get to the end, um, there's a, I, if I remember right, there's a moment of like lucidity where she's like, it's, it's time, uh, to go. 
But then um, I, I believe that partway through it, she she forgets what's going on again. So I I don't remember for sure, but I, I remember kind of a, a feeling of like, you know, does Alice know what's happening right now? And that's um, kind of a heartbreaking uh, thing, a heartbreaking thought to have about somebody who's, you know, being sent on to the afterlife. Mirrors probably what's going on in real life. My maternal grandmother had dementia. Mm-hmm. And it was, the, the decline was difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I had to remind my mom and my aunts about or whatever is like, you know, there are going to be times where she doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what's happening. And she might think that you're somebody else, but you just have to kind of go along with whoever she thinks you are. Because mm. in her mind, she knows who that person is and she knows that she loves them and that she cares about them. Mm-hmm. And you telling them, no, that's, that's, that's not me. That just adds to the confusion. Um, cause towards the end of her life, she would mistake me for one of my aunts, which mm-hmm. to be fair, I am the spitting image of my aunt, except I'm a foot taller. Okay. Um, and you know, she would refer to me as grace anytime she saw me and I would just kind of go along with it. And, you know, she might be recalling a memory or like a place that they had been or something like that. And just watching that decline is difficult. And so I think Alice probably hit Charlie in a different way than it hit me because I had already mm-hmm. I had already seen that, like I had experienced that. And so I kind of view dementia, I guess, in a different light. Yeah. I would say that I am lucky enough to not have firsthand experience with that. Yeah. So uh, again, Lauren, this is, um, we're we're coming back on, you know, real life things. Did they handle this um, in a uh, correct and sensitive way in the game? Yeah, I think they did. Because like one of the things that Alice had asked, you know, Stella to do is that she wear, oh God, I can't even remember her. It was her daughter, her like beach outfit or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, that was an option to like put that on or whatever. And so that's who Stella was to her at that moment. And so Bev knew that she was, no, I'm sorry about Bev. Alice knew that she was like safe and that she was happy and everything like that. So yeah, it was done in a very like sympathetic and empathetic way. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Yeah, dementia is weird. Like, yeah. There are a lot of really weird things out there that we don't necessarily know how to approach, but the game did a very fantastic job of approaching dementia and even hospice, like in that manner. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Let's see. One of my favorites uh, was um, a tool, Stella's uncle, yeah. um, who is this, <laughs> this <a> jolly, <laughs> lovable, you know, boisterous, gregarious character, a uh, f- party favorite. Um Whenever he's on the boat, whenever he's talking, you're having a good time uh, most of the time. One thing I like about him is that there are moments where like that kind of boisterous side of him breaks down and there is some some insecurity and um, some uh, fear and stuff inside of him. But what I really like about him, and I think that this is something that is really true to real life, is that he's gone. You don't take him to the Everdoor. He disappears um, and he's just gone from that point on. And this one hit home with me particularly because uh, I was living overseas in Korea at the time, and I had a very strong fear of this happening with uh, one of my parents when I was overseas or any loved one and not being able to be there if something like that happened. Um, This is a reason why I love a short hike. Um, If if either of you have played Mm -hmm. that game, there's... Yeah, the the phone call at the end of that game uh, really hit me in a way that it's just because I'm 
I was so separated from my family. And so the fact that you're planning, you have a feast even with, um, you're planning a feast with a tool, the other, uh, party members, um, sorry, spirits, boat members, party members, like it's a JRPG, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, on the boat, you're planning a feast. You go out to gather all these ingredients. It's time for the feast and a tool is gone. You never see him again. And that just really struck a chord with me because I was, you know, like I said, if there were a sudden event, um, luckily there wasn't, but if there was, I wouldn't have been able to be there. And that really like gut punched me. Yeah, that one was tricky. Um, they almost needed a, like a mechanical way to make it more obvious that that was on purpose, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. I remember like having to look this up when it happened, like, wait, did we fuck something up? Yeah. Uh, and then, and then seeing a lot of people had searched a similar thing. So he was gone. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I I think that moment of like, wait, I need to step outside of the game to address this and make sure that I didn't like to make sure that it's intentional in the gameplay. Like, yeah, uh, that you didn't break a quest. Yeah. If there was some layer there that they could have made that more obvious, I think it would have hit a little bit more. Uh, true or something, you know? Yep, uh, I agree. But that, like, that little break in immersion, I don't know, it just, like, helps you miss that that emotional beat. Yep. Um, I had to look it up, too, because, uh, I, like you said, I was afraid I just, you know, I fucked something up and something's not flagging and it's not going to happen. Um, but now that I have so much space and time between this, once I realized that that was what was going on, I felt that, you know, that emotion of like, you'll never get to see a tool again. You never got to say goodbye. And, um, another thing this game handles, uh, pretty well. And I don't know if we mentioned it before or not, so I don't want to take credit for this as my own thought if it's not, but it's, it's so unceremonious. It's the most unceremonious Mm -hmm. way for this to go out. Um, he, you don't get to take him to the ever door and give him a hug and have the big swell of music and the flash of light. Just go on, get that closure. Yeah. Um, and that's how it is. That's how it is in real life sometimes. And it fucking yeah. sucks when that happens. Yeah. And it kind of lingers with you too. And it's that mm-hmm. like lack of closure. Yeah. Closure is, uh, I don't have, um, experience with like not having closure when, when someone dies, but closure with, you know, maybe the end of a relationship, uh, that you don't feel like you got closure on closure doesn't really help in my experience. It's not like a really satisfying thing. But to not have an opportunity, um, I do think that that is uh, a real bummer. You're very lucky in that aspect. I Yeah, I, I do count myself as I'm going through these characters and I'm like, I don't, I, I think I latched onto a tool because a lot of the other characters, I don't have a lot of real life connections to them. I just appreciate them as how real they felt and maybe academically looking at the situation and trying to empathize. But uh, a tool is one where I, I definitely felt it more than the others. So I do consider myself um, lucky that I don't have as many connections uh, in a personal way, for sure. I guess fortunate's a better word. Fortunate, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Were there any uh, characters that stood out to you that you want to... Stanley was difficult for me. Yep. Especially from the oncology perspective, right? Not necessarily just because he was a child. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. 
Um, Well, we didn't see pediatrics. I a thousand percent would not have been able to do that job. So we only saw patients that were 18 plus. Um, Is that, that, yeah, that would have killed me. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, for, if, if people are listening to the spoiler section and you don't know, um, Stanley is a, uh, the, the, I forgot to say this in the non-spoiler part. This is ring the bell. It's happened. Finally, the spirits are animals on the boat. Uh, they're not people. So a lot of times, like you're relying on the way that they talk or the things that they want to kind of suss out how old they are. Um, or I guess how they appear. Um, but like the size of the character is not indicative of their age, for example. Um, so you, you can figure out pretty quickly that Stanley is a kid um, and the the way that Stanley dies um, and having to send off a child uh, was definitely an affecting moment for me too. I think one of the reasons it was so hard for me is because like you literally plant him. Like, right, yeah. He, so Stanley is, is, Stanley is not scene. an animal. He is a mushroom. Yeah, uh, yeah. which uh, is and, neither and plant you, nor animal. You get, right. a, <laughs> you get like a mystery seed that you plant and then when you go to pull it up, it's, it's Stanley. It's Stanley. Mm-hmm. And just like all of his requests are so childlike. Like putting different things in the crusher or like trying to cook different things or you know, making paper, eating gruel, which is just sawdust and milk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. His whole, his whole thing is like experimenting, experimenting, curiosity, like exploring the world, like all things that he didn't have time to leave out Mm -hmm. because of his youth. Um, There's just like the, he didn't have all of the opportunities that somebody who lived to, you know, adult could, would have had. So that's it's just like un unbridled curiosity and i don't care about being wrong and you know mm-hmm. and some of this some of the things too like the misunderstandings of like the things that his parents tell him you know that like, maybe there's some dark undertones there it's hard to say it but it's it could just be like that inexperienced worldview that like i don't understand all of the things that are around me and so i interpret them in you know, unconventional ways or like, Mm -hmm. like all of that is super heartbreaking. It's that like, uh, like unfulfilled potential. And who they would have been. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely one of the toughest ones. Uh, just a, a supremely likable, um, character too, but all of those things that you, you said on top of that. And in contrast, you have other characters like, uh, Bruce and Mickey who are kind of like a, cartoonish like mafia duo you know mafia goon duo kind of got that feeling from them i didn't like them um (laughs) from start to finish i I found them annoying i like i don't like their attitudes which is intentional on their part i don't think they're made to be super likable characters and i just thought that this was memorable because you still have to take care of them you still have to do um whatever you can to make them comfortable etc etc even though they're not likable they're probably not good people but you still have to do that be nice to them um so it it stuck out to me because the game the writers had the the courage and the i guess you know real life intelligence to make sure that not all the characters are really fun likable friendly people because that's just not how it is 
Yeah, Bruce and Mickey were absolutely the people I was thinking of when we were talking about characters that we didn't necessarily <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> Put them all the way at the top, like uh-huh. furthest away from everyone. Yeah. But they were also the people I was taught I was thinking of specifically when I was saying that sometimes that music just hits left field and you're like, this is not like anything else in the game, but it totally yeah. adds to the aesthetic of what's going on. And for me there was this ambiguity with Mickey in particular, because Bruce spoke for both of them. Mickey was yeah. mute. And so Bruce would describe things that Mickey wanted or that Mickey had done in life. And I don't think you could trust that he was a reliable communicator of that. Yeah. And so there was this air of, you know, is, is Mickey like the little brother who just has to go along with, with Bruce because he feels powerless, even though he's the big, like he's a, fucking yak or something he's like yeah. a water buffalo and bruce is a sparrow or you know mm-hmm. some small bird um who through the power of the afterlife like carries mickey around um so he's like he's like his legs he's everything he's his voice mm-hmm. um and so you wonder like especially towards the end i wonder how much like does mickey is Mickey on board with all of this? Is the the relate the information that Bruce is relaying to us accurate? Can we take it in good faith? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this like really mixed emotion that I got of like, sh- am I feeling empathy for Mickey and like mad at Bruce? Do I not like both of them? It's it was really hard to say. Yeah, that's interesting because I saw it a very different way. Like once we found out that Mickey was mute. And the way that I kind of interpret it is that he did have an accident when he was young Mm -hmm. or when he was like a a young adult or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. Bruce stepped in to help his brother because he would be damned if anybody said anything against him. Right. And so Mm -hmm. like he was basically his eyes and his ears and he was just taking care of his brother in any way that he possibly could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's that, that love under the surface, even though, um, again, not the most likable character, but there is that love under the surface kind of reminds me of like, um, uh, George and Lenny from, of mice and men, uh, mm. like that kind of a dynamic. George is not the best person, but there is a definite love there in that story too. Uh, so just, just super memorable, uh, characters there. Any yeah, others? I, I, yeah. Well, and to throw it to one other, uh, media that I know you enjoy, um, I was getting, and I'm going to, I'm forgetting both of the names now, but, um, Dark Tower, uh, Hmm. in the drawing of the three. And then his older brother was like, you know, the, I feel like who's the, who's the, one of the protagonists that's like in the main party, uh, Jake or Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Uh, so like I see Eddie as like a Mickey almost and Bruce as like the older brother, you know, like we don't get to see it play out from that same perspective, but I saw that kind of dynamic there. Like mm-hmm. he's the older brother. I'm always fucking up. I got to look up to what he's doing. Yeah. He speaks for me. You know, like that's, that's where my mind went. Maybe like, maybe there's a nugget of, of uh, good heartedness in there that we can't see because we're only getting it from Bruce's perspective, but yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Were there any other spirits that you thought were um, noteworthy or memorable? Um, or formed a personal connection before we talk about Lily and Stella? Um, maybe just a funny anecdote. Um, like we did talk a little bit about um, Jackie and Daria. Mm-hmm. 
And like, as empathetic as we want to be to Daria, like there it's, it's hard to go through those sequences with Daria. Uh huh. Like it is challenging as a player to like read along with all of the text that she has to follow it, to try to see if it like to put it together and see if it see makes if it's sense. Coherent. Yeah. See mm-hmm. if it's coherent or if it's something that you just have to like, kind of take you just have to let it wash over you and and just be there for her yeah um like there were times where we played this where we were a little high Mm -hmm. and then there were times where we were playing this where i was like where i wasn't high but i was reading daria's text going am i am i high yeah. <laughs> Am I just like failing to connect the dots in this because I'm a little high? No, I don't think so. Sometimes of oh my god, if we were high, we would never get through this. <laughs> or it would make total sense either way. Right, so, yeah. yeah. Maybe it would have flipped the script Who for knows? sure. <laughs> I probably just would have ordered more cheesy bread. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I thought that there were lots of conversations um in this game where Maybe I'm not personally invested in what the character is talking about. You know, like, um, I think the artist's name is, uh, Gustav. I Gustav. Name. Yeah. Gustav. Yeah. I'm not super interested in hearing him boast about his accomplishments, but right. you do have to be there. Um, like you said, at the very least you, you be there and you let it wash over you and, uh, just, just provide that support. Uh, for that character, the other two that I for, that I thought were um, kind of interesting characters is Giovanni and mm. Astrid. Yeah, uh, for sure. yeah. characters. Uh, not if you're listening at home, they were a, a couple. Um, Giovanni cheats on Astrid uh, many times. Um, every you help, chance he gets. <laughs> every chance he gets. You help them reunite um, because they, you know, it, and end of Pleasure. life, right? They they want to make that connection again. They don't want to go with these burned bridges, I suppose, or she doesn't want to. So you help them get back together and he cheats on her again. And she goes to the afterlife angry. And, um, I thought that that was another, just really kind of, it's not a happy ending, but it's another well-realized, uh, story here where some people don't change even at the end. And the fact that she, was willing to give him another chance, uh, like the last chance. He threw it right back in her face, and she went to the ever door angry, um, and never got that kind of closer that, that she wanted. That felt real to me too, in a way. I would not have been surprised if Astrid came back like vengeful in yes. another life, <laughs> vengeful spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was another way in which, like, again, those kind of character interactions that are totally outside of your interaction with them brings a lot of depth and yeah that like you're you're watching astrid go through this and you want to warn her and you want to say look don't give this asshole another chance mm-hmm. but you have to like let them make you know be their own people make their own choices and and you go so far as to feel like you know maybe i should be like maybe i should be more like astrid maybe i should be giving people more chances maybe i should and then, like you said, it, you know, he totally flips it on her and it's, it's like, okay, but I, I'm going to be me too. Like your, your way is to forgive me. My way is to take advantage of that and, and get every, you know, piece that I can. Yep. Some people never change. Yeah.
So, I guess the last thing, if we if we don't have any other spirits that we want to talk about, um, is to talk about Lily and talk about Stella. So, Lily, um, actually, one more, just real fast, a uh, thing I thought was cool, and it plays into the end of the game, um, I think, the way I see it. Uh, you, you get another character named Buck, and um, he's, he's like a nerdy... Something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nerdy... Um, having fun kind of like i i read him as like a teenager something like that and all he wants to do is uh role play loves uh D type stuff and he's role playing in real life uh, every conversation you have with him is like him playing a character basically um but you don't send him off and this is what i thought was interesting and until i started to put the pieces together about what's going on with the help of lily the dlc character um, I didn't quite understand why you couldn't send Buck off. And I think it's because Buck is still alive when Stella dies in real life. Mm. I don't oh. know if you guys got that. No, that I don't think it was sense. obvious to us. Um, I mentioned to you in our conversations, like, this is what I was trying to figure out. I was, like, afraid to do Lily's quest because it felt like that was going to lead to the end game, And I wanted to make sure that we had gotten with all of the other spirits that we had before mm-hmm. um and so yeah at a certain point we were like okay i don't think we can lock ourselves out so i i don't know i guess i maybe finished up thinking there could be more with buck but uh but yeah he he was one that we never sent on and and unlike a tool he didn't like disappear in the night he was just he was still hanging around yeah um i i believe could be wrong, but I did all of Buck's stuff. I didn't do like the, it, he has like some quests that were frankly sounded like a pain in the ass and I didn't do them, um, like treasure hunt type stuff. Uh, but he, Oh yeah, the treasure hunts were hard. Yeah. And he yeah. didn't do all of them, I don't think. Yeah. So I just checked the wiki again. You you can't take him to the Everdoor. So, um, and what does the wiki say he is? He's like a basilisk or something. Oh, I thought he was a... He looked like a parrot. Yes, a basilisk. Yeah, yeah. What a, yeah, what a wild. You, I don't think you can okay, intuit so he's, that he's a basilisk. He's like a little, so he's like a little dragon. Yeah, fitting with his fantasy, um, his love of fantasy. There for yeah. sure. Yeah, he's a my- mystical uh, character. Yeah, <laughs> mythical character. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of gets into the at least my interpretation of what why Buck doesn't go. I think it's because Buck is still alive when Stella dies uh, in real life. And this gets into kind of the ending. So Lily, when did you meet Lily since you started the game with Lily? Uh, She was still very near the end. She was like the last, I don't know. Well, she was on the boat while we were doing Jackie and uh, Daria's stuff, but we were kind of like avoiding interacting again because we thought, oh, this feels like it will end the game if we keep going down this road. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Because um, Lily, Jackie, and Daria were um, DLC characters. So makes sense. Toward the end of the game, even if you start with the DLC, it makes sense too because Lily is explaining like what's really going on with Stella. So Lily is Stella's sister, and also unlike all the other spirits on the boat, uh, Lily is not an animal or a mushroom or something like that. Lily is a bunch of butterflies that coalesce into like a 
a humanoid shape. And she's Stella's sister. She did not die. She's alive in real life. And I saw her as a a manifestation of her voice in the real world while Stella is dying. Like in Stella's last moments, hours, days, whatever, um, which I think this the game takes place in, this is Stella hearing Lily's voice. And Lily is kind of walking you through in her quests, revisiting memories from Stella's life uh, as you kind of work through the spirits that you met throughout the game, how they fit into Stella's life. Yeah, as it helps a lot dying. to contextualize your relationships with all of these people that you've been yes. interacting with the whole time. And all of that stuff was not present in the game without Lily. And it's, um, I'm glad that anyone who's listening who, or who listened and stopped listening at the spoiler break, hopefully, um, I'm glad that anyone is that's going to pick up the game for the first time today is going to get Lily in their game because it adds so much. Yeah, those those conversations, and you're right, like it's, I think it's pretty obvious that, uh, or like explicit that the Lily is sitting in the hospital room with you. And one thing we didn't talk about is every once in a while, there would be after, after you would, uh, take somebody through the Everdor, like, and oh, I think it yeah. was like every, like X number of spirits or something. I don't oh, know yeah. exactly what triggered the parts it. with you Hades. would have these, yeah. you would have these encounters with this being. I don't know if it was ever even named. God. Um, yeah, and it manifested like as an owl or something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um it's Hades, the uh, the god of the afterworld or whatever. Oh, yeah. hey, that's you. And so you would do these. That's a reference to our, something our something our students do, where they oh, nice. assign everybody in the department like a character from a book or a character from mythology or an album or something like. And when they did mythology, I was Hades. And I was Persephone. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so you would like, and it was like three separate encounters you would have with this thing where you would like do some light pl- platforming and then you would get this little like vignette, uh, like a mm-hmm. little flash of memory. It was just a, like a still image and there would be no text. So you would like get these little puzzle pieces. And I don't think it was obvious in the first ca- encounter, and maybe not even in the second, that these were images from your life. From Stella's life, But yeah. you could right. start to put it together over the course, and like, oh, I think I'm actually seeing images from my own life, which makes you, it starts to, you know, that's maybe the first thing that triggers the question of like, wait, if I'm here, right. how did I get here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it seems like it would be obvious to ask that earlier on, but it, and unless you ask it like right away and then forget, like it, it doesn't come up in the minute to minute gameplay. But in these right. moments, it kind of like reminds you to grapple with that question. Like I'm in the afterlife too, or I'm in this in between space too. Like, and I knew these people in their life, which means that I must have had a life. Um, right. And it starts it, to point towards this question. Yeah, totally. And those little vignettes, like you mentioned, in the game without Lily were the only clues that you got unless you really started to like maybe make like a, a family tree or like a web of interaction, like a mind map or some shit about how Stella connected with all these characters. Like that guy who puts together all the Elden Ring lore for you. So you don't have to figure it out yourself. You need Vadi Vidya to to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, This was not the podcast where I thought we'd be talking about Vadi Vidya, but here we are. Um, So, um, 
Yeah, that was the only um, clue that you got. And I had forgotten because I, maybe I just wasn't looking or thinking closely at the time. But the opening cutscene of the game is Stella being rowed to the Everdoor by Karen. Stella obviously died. And I had just forgotten that. So, yep. so did we. Yeah. And so when it comes time at the end to take Stella through the Everdoor, big emotional moment uh, for me to take Stella and Daffodil too. You can't leave your cat behind. Um, so that's the end. Um, your your final quest is to take Stella through the Everdoor. And like I said, I maybe if you asked me, like, do you think you're going to have to take Stella? I would have said, yeah, probably. But I certainly wasn't expecting it until the kind of the ending portion of the game. How about you? Well, it's that. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, we went back and started to kind of replay it at the beginning because it had been so many months since we had started it or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Karen says that I was beginning to think you would never wake up. How ironic would that be? And like, if, you know, when you first play that, you don't think anything of it. But like, when we played that second time, I was like, oh, fuck, this is heavy. Yeah. Like, well, and I think, too, <laughs> it's one of those it's that trait of an empathetic person to be always looking for the hurt in other people and to not see mm-hmm. and to not take care to of the yourself. stuff that's going on for yourself. And so throughout the game, you're never looking inward. You're never wondering what Stella needs, uh, you know, why she's here what she's doing you're always looking it's forward you're looking others. outward mm-hmm. and so it kind of sneaks up on you this fact that you're going to have to go at some point yourself like your your business and you're you're kind of the one that spirit that ferries yourself right your unfinished business is helping those around you is helping the people who can't help themselves and it's mm-hmm. like once you've done all of that then that fulfills then what's the purpose of your life no, I think that's a really dark way to look at it. I think once you've done Sorry. all of that, you've done the thing that like, you know, that is fulfilling to you. Yeah. I mean, part of the game. No, no, not part of the game. The game is making the spirits feel comfortable and feel like they are ready to move on because you like cannot. They're fulfilled. Force, yeah. They have to be fulfilled. You can't force the spirits to go to the ever door. So it's the same with Stella. Stella will not go until she feels like she's ready to go. She's tied up her loose ends. She's made her amends. She's finished all of her, you know, unfinished things that she feels like she has to do. So it's only at the point where it's just you and Buck on the boat where it's like, okay, Stella, it's time. And then then you go. And the last time, for the last time the ever door opens, the music swells up. You get the uh, Stella hugs Daffodil. Like I, I was like, ah, oh, man, I cried hugging the cat, raising up into the air, going into the the brilliant uh, flash of light while that that beautiful melody is playing. Um, it's just it's a wonderful ending. Wonderful is a weird word when you're talking about uh, people dying, but it, it is a wonderful ending to the game, I think. Yeah, powerful. Yeah, powerful for sure. There's a word for me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll put that one in the book. <laughs> Was that your experience too? Um, was this a, um, did you feel like the culmination of all the stuff that you were doing? My first thought was what's going to happen to Buck? Yeah. Which is the exact reason I had to get out of oncology, but. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. it was tough to, to like decide, right? Because that's the only thing left at that point. 
again, like you said, the spirit, you can't make any of the spirits go. They let you know when they're ready. And the same for Stella. You decide when you're ready. You yeah. can exist in that world. You can go around and plant all the plants and do whatever you want to do. And mm-hmm. it's your choice to go to the Everdor. And so it's hard to make that choice. It's hard to like to look it in the face and say, okay, I'm ready. And when, when we do this, there's nothing left. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, I didn't look this up. Let me look this up. Well, according to the wiki, Buck died a long time ago, which goes against my theory for why Buck doesn't go to the Everdor. But according to the wiki, the reason Buck doesn't go to the Everdor is because Stella never met Buck in real life. She didn't help Buck in real life, you know, come to peace or whatever. Necessarily, like, yeah. It it's interesting. Interesting why they would come together in the story when all of the other ones had close connections with Stella, either through family or uh, through her job. Um, So they say Buck was Lily's friend who died in his teenage years. uh, So teenager. um, Mm. And Stella remembers Lily's recounting of many of Buck's stories. So I guess that's why Buck is there because Stella is herself on her deathbed reliving memories basically and she remembers lily telling stories about buck or recounting stories that buck told so that's why he's there but that's also why stella doesn't help him go to the ever door yeah the uh well what i'll say is the i think the ending is really effective and i don't think that it should be any different or that it would be more effective in any other way Mm -hmm. i would say some of the questions i have that i'm left with at the end First involves, so like the, the rest of the population of this, this place that you're in, uh-huh. like that you, you've, um, are helpful and ferry some of them, but others don't seem accessible to you or seem content to be there all the time. Are they, are the other real people that lived and died? Are they, and, and are content to stay in this in between place? Are they just, kind of memories and figments that help flesh out this world for all of this like kind of closure to unfold in. And I, That's I don't I think, think it's maybe useful to dig into like which one is right. Like I don't think it changes much in the way that you experience the game. Mm-hmm. But the other question I have is, and I, I think it only came to mind because we restarted the game again, just to kind of get reacquainted with the opening mm-hmm. is that you take over for the previous ferryman, Right. So what, like, you know, where do you hand that off to? Like, what is there a place in this ending for you to introduce the next person? Or or is it a moot point again because this is all, like, is the whole experience just personal to you? I think, I think it's... It might... Go ahead, Lauren. I was going to say this is going to go off on, like, kind of a weird tangent or whatever. Um, but I think what it is, is that it's just a continuous cycle of spirit affairs and each soul that you interact with or each spirit had some kind of connection to you in your life. And so the ones that are just there that you can interact with, but you don't necessarily help move on or whatever, they're just waiting for that soul to come through that they do recognize that they do have that connection to. Mm-hmm. That goes back to like a really weird theory that one of my, um, one of my friends that I talked about one night when we were like four bottles of wine in. 
about how like this it's gonna sound really weird and judge me as you will. Um so when you're born, basically your soul shatters and there's a large piece within you, but then like the other pieces like find their ways to people that you will come to know or people that were in the past. So basically right. everybody that has ever been and ever will be. And whenever you meet those people, like that has like a small shard of their of your soul in them, you're like, oh, I know you. Like mm-hmm. you feel like home. You make sense. And so like there's all these different people that you'll meet throughout your life. Some will have very large impacts and some won't. And that's kind of like where my brain connected those two. Like through spirit fair or whatever, like meeting those people that you just kind of keep going with, Oh, like there's not a part of me within you or a part of you within me Mm -hmm. kind of, Mm -hmm. sorry. I know that's really weird. (laughs) No, no, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. I had kind of seen this as this is, this whole world is a, a construct in Stella's mind in the last like moments or hours, days of her life as she's kind of looking back on everything or you know the 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 fabled your life flashing before your eyes as you die like that kind of thing um so in that kind of context this was stella's life's work uh, as a hospice nurse so in her kind of constructed world here this is also her job she feels like this is her calling um so it makes sense that she's the spirit fairer here um as she's working through the people uh that made an impact on her. And then because this is a construct within her mind, it's there isn't another spirit fairer because this goes when she goes. Um, right. And that's why there is, you know, you hit the credits after you send uh, Stella through the Everdoor, and then the game starts you back up right before you left uh, for the Everdoor. So I think the game is saying that that is the end. We're going to put you back at your save so you can keep playing if you want. You can go do Buck's treasure hunts or whatever you want to do. But that that's kind of the way that I saw that. So there I had kind of considered like what who's the next spirit fairer, but I think that this world ends when Stella goes. Mm-hmm. So this has been uh exactly the conversation that I wanted to have about this game. Um I've been holding this game in my back pocket as a game that like I knew that I was going to play the DLC and I knew that I would do an episode uh, of the show about the game. And I was just kind of holding it for the right time and the right guests. So Charlie, Lauren, I really appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate sharing the um, connections that you had to the story, because this is a story that uh, connected with me personally. And I knew that this was going to be an episode that demanded something like this in order for me to be happy with how it turned out. And this is exactly what I wanted. So thank you both uh, for coming on, for taking over two hours of your time and, um, uh, you know, opening up uh, personal stories and personal connections. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We've, uh, <laughs> we very much enjoyed the game and we've been looking forward to getting to, you know, dish about it for uh a very long time. Thank you for being patient with us while we took our own <laughs> journey and getting to the end of it. Um, but I think you're right. I think it was worth holding on to for, for such a wonderful conversation. And yeah, I hope everybody can take something from this and uh, take it into their own experience. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I, I cannot tell you um, enough how much I appreciate um, everything. You agreeing to come on the show and then 
uh, this conversation, exactly what I want. So thank you again. And thank you everybody for listening, uh, making it this far. If you have listened this far and you did not play Spirit Fair, if you're just listening because you love me and Charlie and Lauren and just wanted to hear us <laughs> talk longer past the spoiler break, go play Spirit Fairer. I think that you will find your own connections to the game um, outside of the ones that we talked about here. Because I think this game's uh, one of its biggest successes is connecting with different people in different ways. So thank you everybody for listening. Tune in next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog.